Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. My name is Paul, one of the leaders here. If you're new here, welcome again. I generally am a little bit shorter, but Steve just took up that last 15 minutes with his really clear explanation of a QR code. So thank you, Steve. Really appreciate that. If you your Bibles, open your Bibles up at Philippians chapter 3. And we're in verse 1 to 11. We're jumping back into our, back into our series on Philippians. So I have that open and we'll be making our way to that passage. Philippians 3, verses 1 through to 11. I'm going to read it for us and then I'll pray. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible i may attain the resurrection from the dead let's pray father i pray today that our love as we gather here brothers and sisters in christ our love would abound more and more that as we hear your word proclaimed that we too, by your Spirit, will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ, to and for your praise and glory. Amen. Okay, let me start by asking you to think of a person who you respect and trust. Think of a person that, that, that you know loves you, a person that you know wants what's best for you. Now imagine if that person told you to look out three times. Look out, look out, look out. Told you that there's a real danger, there's a real threat approaching, and it's a group of people, a group of people who were a threat to you. I'm thinking and hoping that, that you take that threat seriously. I grew up in a place called Rain Hill. That means I'm a woolly back for those people from Liverpool. And as I was growing up in Rain Hill, there used to be a group of lads from Whiston who were a bit older and a bit tougher than we were, and they used to come and kind of beat us up a little bit and take our money and write things on, on people's heads and stuff. But we were in real fear of them. So what would happen is if they were about to come down, they'd get the bus down or they'd walk down and they'd be spotted. And the word would go around, the whistler's coming, the whistler's coming. And we'd all leg it and we'd go to the safe place. I'd be going home. No one would be coming out that night. But that's what's happening here in today's passage. You see, this is a letter which has been written by the Apostle Paul, and he's in prison. He's under house arrest for telling people about Jesus Christ. And he suffered. He, this, this guy is someone who's lived life. He's experienced so much. 
And he's writing to a church in Philippi, which is a Roman province in Macedonia. A church that, that he set up, starting this church planting movement 2,000 years ago. He first proclaimed the gospel to them. And he loves them. I mean, that comes out all the way through this letter and all the letters that, that he's written. And he starts the whole thing, verse 1, finally, my brothers, that's a del for you, that word. That means brothers and sisters in Christ, members of a family. He tells them, rejoice in God. He wants what's best for them. He's in many ways given his life to serve this group of people, to help them grow in their faith, to help them grow in their love of Christ, to help them experience freedom in Christ. Let me just show, because at the start of this letter, in chapter 1, verse 8, we, we see a little bit of his heart. Paul exposes his heart for these people. And he says this, For God is my witness, how I yearn, this deep emotional language, how I yearn with you all, for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what's excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He shows his heart. He loves these people. He absolutely loves them. And he tells them, rejoice in the Lord. Choose. That's what he's saying. It's an imperative. He's saying, choose to rejoice in the Lord. That's really interesting language, isn't it? And what he does today, he actually warns them. There's a people, a group of people that are coming. There's a group of people who are around you who are a threat and a danger. They're going to try and steal away some of what you've got. They're going to try and steal away some of the gospel truth. They're going to try and throw mud at the gospel truth. And these people, they're going to present you with another option. They are a threat. They are a danger. They are stealing your joy. So what does he say about them? Verse 2. This approaching threat. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Three times, look out, look out, look out. So who are these people? Most people think that these people are a group of are people called the Judaizers. They were a group of people who were around in the early church in, in one form or another. And the reason being is see, the Christian church, it actually emerged out of the Jewish faith. And the gospel tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to fulfill all that was required under the Mosaic laws. The Mosaic laws being all the laws that, that Israel, this people group, were called to live by before God. And the gospel declared that Jesus Christ was enough. So his life, his death, his sacrifice was what was required to be right before God. So the gospel declares that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And the gospel tells us that this is not just for the Jews. This is not just for the Israelites. This is for all people. This is for all nations. And it's into this gap that the Judaizers came. They would go around teaching the Gentiles, that is the, the non-Jewish converts. And they would be telling them that they, they would need to do more than just trust in Christ. They need to be circumcised to fulfill certain laws, to achieve their right standing before God. And he uses three really strong terms to describe them. He calls them dogs. Maybe because they're going around in packs, but whichever way that he uses this term is clearly an insult to a Jewish person because dogs are unclean. He calls them evildoers. See, these people thought that they were the epitome of what it means to be good. And he's actually saying they got it wrong. They're actually working evil. They are doing evil. And they mutilate the flesh, circumcising themselves and calling others to as well. Paul's saying, look out. This is who they are. They're peddling lies. They're preaching a false gospel. They are seeking to give you a false confidence of your standing before God. 
So what is that false confidence? Let's look at what Paul says in verse 3 to 6. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. We are the circumcision. See, what Paul is saying is here, he's speaking to the church of Philippi, the Christians, and saying, we are the people of God. See, circumcision was a, a, a defining marker for the covenant people of God, the people of promise that we read about in the Old Testament. And Paul is saying that now, as we see this, that we are that covenant people of God. We worship by God's Holy Spirit. We glory in Christ Jesus and Him alone. So what he's saying is those who trust in Christ are God's people. He says, put no confidence in the flesh. What he's saying is, and he kind of let me show you, he's saying, put no confidence in the, in the things that you do. Let me show you why. Verse 4 shows it. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You see, their confidence is in, before God is in what they do. They're kind of promoting themselves, their, their way. This is the way that you get right before God. We are the holy ones. We are the righteous ones. We are the holier than thou ones. And Paul's saying, it's rubbish. It's not true. In fact, he goes to actually push back against them by saying, I have more to be confident about than them, using their own argument to prove it. And what he does, he does it in two sections. First of all, he uses his, his, his own identity, his heritage, his race. He's a Jewish guy. He says, I circumcised on the eighth day. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I wasn't circumcised as an adult, but properly as a Jew on the eighth day. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, this special tribe, the place where Jerusalem was, that saw the king had risen up, the first king from. Many blessings for God's people had flown through, had come through Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I have a lineage that can be traced. Go and do it if you want. Paul's saying I'm a pure, true blood, pure breed Israelite. I have reason to be confident in that. That's where we're going. And then he moves on to his conduct, what he has done. And he reflects on their arguments, what he says they should be doing. He says, I was a Pharisee. In fact, I was trained by the best teacher. He was the highest achiever. He knew the law inside out, every part. The thinking is that Paul had the equivalent of two PhDs by the time he was 21. It's like, been there, done that. As to zealousness, well, let me tell you, I was a persecutor of the church. Paul was the one who used to head the efforts to drag the Christian heretics into prison. He would be first in line for the torture and the beating, the killing, the imprisonment. He's like, seen it, done it. I actually led it. As to righteousness, I was blameless in the Lord. Everything, everything that needed to be done, I did it. Externally, I was the best law keeper in town. All those Old Testament laws did it. All the extra ones that they put on did it. What they say, I did. In who I am, in what I did, I have more reason to be confident than them. So let me just pause here for a second. Before we go to where true confidence lies, I just want to pause because I think this, folks, is part of something we struggle with within our human condition. Desperately trying to prove ourselves desperately trying to present a better version of ourselves. 
desperately trying to give a right impression, to be well thought of. And we look up and down on the sliding scale. Yes, we look up to people we respect and want to be like, but we also look down. How does it affect you? What is it that you put your trust in? What do you think makes you right before God or right before others? Is it your good deeds? Maybe your generosity, your hospitality. You don't swear, you don't drink. Maybe it's your religious deeds. Maybe the fact that you attend church or you go to a gospel community or you serve every single week. See, these are good things, but they don't improve our standing before God. Maybe it's your zealousness, how, how loud you shout about social justice issues. Maybe it's virtue signaling, how zealous you are on social media or in your friendship circles or in the staff room at work. Maybe it's how zealously you proclaim your faith. None of this is bad, but it doesn't make us right before God. Maybe it's your inheritance. Maybe you were brought up in a Christian home. Maybe you were brought up by Christians. There's a few people of bolder age, children here, please listen to me. Your parents don't make you a Christian. Your parents do not make you a Christian. And folks, none of this is bad, but it doesn't improve our standing before God. And there's actually a few ditches that we can fall into around this. See, on, on the one side is insecurity or anxiety and fear. Is it enough? What, what, what does God think of me? What does God think of me today? Yes, I know I did that. But what about next week? What about today? What about yesterday? Have I messed up again? What do other people think about me? And you get on this treadmill of seeking to prove yourself. Maybe you're trying to be the, the person that someone in your life wants you to be. Maybe you're trying to be the person that you think God wants you to be. And we're on the treadmill of pleasing God and the treadmill of pleasing others, and it is exhausting. Or maybe we flip into the other side of the ditch. Another form of pride. Happy with yourself. Looking down on others. Maybe they should attend more. They should be more committed. Why don't people serve like me? Maybe you look around at family situations and say, why don't they do more in the house? When they read more, when they pray more, when they lead more, when they submit more. Or even once we start asking the question, why does no one care about things like I do? We know there's a problem. No one cares about social justice like me. No one cares about evangelism as much, evangelism as, much as me. Why aren't people caring for their neighbors? See, this is a slippery slope and it's a joy stealer. So what does Paul say? Because Paul actually goes on to show us where true confidence lies. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says it's all lost. This is a big statement. He counts it all as rubbish. See, that, that word in verse 8, really contentious once you actually dig below it. And you read what some of the commentators say on this. Some people think it's a waste heap or like a, a garbage. Some people think it's human excrement. So how do we make sense of what, what Paul is saying? See, Paul is not saying here that the heritage is bad. Paul is not saying here that zealousness is bad. Paul is not saying here that good works are bad. But all of this that he is saying is in the context of our standing before God. You see, righteousness, as it's used right here in this passage, righteousness is our standing 
our conduct before God, how God views us, how are we made right before a pure and holy and perfect God. And Paul is saying those things, they don't make us right before God. In fact, he's even saying, I had it all. I had all that external righteousness stuff going on, and I counted all as loss. Why? How can he say that? Why can he say that? Because of Christ. Because of Christ. Jesus Christ is infinitely valuable. Invaluable. He is infinitely beautiful. He is infinitely perfect. His life was perfect. See, the Bible's clear. We, we as human beings, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short. And so we can't make ourselves right before God. We've messed up. But Jesus didn't. That's why he came. He came so that we could have our sins forgiven. We could have our guilt removed. We could have our shame covered by his perfection. Jesus Christ did everything that was necessary for us to be made right before God, a perfect God. There is no other way. God's clear. This is the way that I have made for you to be right before me. And so, folks, let me, let me follow that logic through. If his life, death, and sacrifice are perfect in every way. If it is full, complete, and finished, like God says that he is. That's what he said on the cross. It is finished. Then we can't add to it. But we can't, can we? In fact, adding to it, to something that is perfect and pure and holy, adding to it is in effect taken away from it. And it's not like adding water from from the tap, it's like orange cordial to mix it up a bit, as if you and God are working together to make yourself right before him. That's not it. You're actually adding sewage water. We are made right in Christ through faith in him alone, his work, his life, his death, his resurrection. Do you have faith in Christ? He is beautiful. He is worthy. He is pure. He is perfect. He will make you right. Folks, you can't do it on your own. You need him. If you hear that right today, there is a liberating truth in that. There is freedom in that truth. And he invites you to trust him, to trust the righteousness of God that depends on faith. See, this, folks, as he has given us here, is a call to choose joy. A joy that I know that you long for. A joy that I know is being longed for in every human heart, and it's only found in Christ. This is a call to get off the treadmill and trust in Christ and choose joy. Because then what we see here is actually the fruits of trusting in Jesus, the fruit of a right confidence. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I've got five points for us just to, to bring this to a close. This is some of the most beautiful truths that you are going to ever hear, folks. And number one, I, I want to say this really clearly, and I really want you to, to listen here, folks. We know him. Okay, okay, let me say that again, because he says it here, and I think he bangs the drum a bit here, Paul. We know him. We know Christ. Don't gloss over this, please. Listen. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know him. 
This is not a, a fleeting knowledge. This is not like knowing facts or, or a truth. What's being said is, is here is a relationship. We know Him. This is deep, intimate, loving, joy-filled relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is infinitely worthy. There is endless beauty, endless satisfaction, endless fulfillment in Christ. You can never get bored of knowing Him. You can never get bored of seeing Him. You can never get to the end of the wonders of this relationship, the relationship that you have with God in Christ, ever. In fact, folks, you're going to spend eternity knowing and getting to know Christ. This is a fountain that never runs dry. That's why Paul uses the phrase, I count all of that as loss because of what I've received, because of what I have, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Why would I bring those things in? It's no, it's Christ. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? There is an invitation today. I've been listening to a few songs past couple of weeks, just a couple of new songs that God has brought into my kind of sphere to listen to, and they've really done a work on my soul. And I was listening to one this morning. And let me just read the lyrics to, to what this song was saying. There's a new horizon. I'm set on you. You meet me here with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, they can all come to because they can't stay long when I'm here with you. I first heard that song, I struggled with it. My fears and doubts, bring them. Surely I have to get rid of them before I come to Christ. Surely I have to deal with them. And that's what Paul's like, no. Bring them. I'll get rid of them. See me, know me, bring them. I will make those go away. Don't let anything stop you from turning to God today. See, as I was listening to this, I, I get up early before I, before I preach, and I went for a walk with the, the dog I have on the mystery of a half six. And the sun was coming up. I took a photo and sent it to RGC. And the sun was coming up over the horizon. And you know what, folks? That was a new horizon. The world has never seen that horizon before. Do you know what? Tomorrow, when you wake up, there's been another new horizon. And as that sun rises on that day, God's mercies are new for that day. No matter what's gone on, no matter where you've been, no matter what's happened, no matter what state that you are in, you can turn to God and know that His mercies are new every day because you know Him. You are in a relationship with Him. He's not going anywhere. You might have felt that you've wondered He's not. You know Him. Turn to Him with everything you're carrying. Let Him take it off you. Let Him bring you in. Second of all, we know resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You actually may feel low. You may feel periods of despair or, or depression, or sometimes you get overcome with a bit of anxiety. You may have walked through a deep, dark valley this past year, this past few weeks even. You may be struggling and wrestling with sin. Maybe it's sinful desires or thoughts or some action that you keep doing that you just can't seem to shake thinking that maybe I'm never going to be free of this. You have the power of God in you. God's Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. What that means is you're not a victim. That's not who you truly are. That's not your identity. See, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. 
But let me broaden that out. You are actually a living, breathing testimony to God's endless and wonderful grace. If you believe in Jesus, he has raised you from death to life. In fact, let me say this. You are a walking miracle. You're a walking miracle because you've been raised from death to life. So every day you get to walk in new life by God's Holy Spirit. He will equip and empower you to walk this next year, this next month, this next week. He will equip and empower you to walk out of this building and get on with your day-to-day that you may be struggling with in miraculous resurrection life. There's another song that God's been just playing in my ears and making me listen to over the past couple of weeks, and it's called You Hold It All Together. It was shared by someone from our gospel community in the the group. And these are the words. It says this, you're the alpha, that's the beginning. You're the omega, that's the end. And you're in the middle. You hold it all together. That's just been seeping down into my soul because I think what happens is that we see the past. We see, yeah, our sins are being forgiven by Christ. And we're, that's great. Thank you for that. And then we see the future, that Jesus is coming back. But we're like, what now? I'm struggling. Where are you? God's in it. God is in the middle. God, by his spirit in resurrection power, is with you. He's with you now. He'll never leave. And he won't leave you forever. Don't think that he's not with you now. Thirdly, you will share in his suffering. See, as you walk out your faith, united to Christ, you will suffer. Gospel's clear. Philippians, they understood this. This world is broken. This world is messed up. You're going to feel that brokenness. You're going to feel that messed up reality. You're going you're to feel the brokenness and pain, the rejection of the God that, 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 that created us and the effects of that because the world has rejected him. It's going to be all around us because God lives in you. You're going to face that same pushback. You're going to face relational difficulty. You'll face societal and cultural difficulty. You'll face physical difficulty. And you will face death. Jesus did. Paul did. We read that. We know the Philippians did. But we also know that the Lord Jesus Christ is with us. Jesus Christ is in us. And and this is a hard-to-understand truth in many ways. It's a mystery that we united to Christ as we suffer. So as we suffer in life, we share in His sufferings. The Bible tells us that there is joy in that, united to our Savior. Fourthly, you are being made like Christ. See, as we know Him, as we know His resurrection power, and as we share in His sufferings, we are being transformed. We are being made like Him. In his death, dying to the things of this world, living to newness of life. See, this, folks, is the reality of your your existence if you're in Christ. And where that leads us to, if we were to drill down on that for a minute, that actually means that God uses any and every circumstances, any circumstance and situation, all the brokenness, all the pain that you might be walking through, all the, the wrestling that you might have, every turn in the road that you didn't expect, every sleepless night, every waking hour, every church gathering, every gospel community, online gathering, every prayer that you offer up, every single moment God uses to make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is wasted. Nothing. Never lose hope. Never lose sight of what God has done and is doing in and through you. And lastly, number five, verse 11, you have a glorious future that awaits you. See, Paul knows, he knows that that either soon 
through the, the, the wrong trial that he's about to face, which will probably end up in his death. That's what he's been saying in this letter already. Or if he's spurred from that and he comes to them soon after, he will die. And he's saying he will, whichever way, he's going to attain the resurrection from the dead. So what he's saying is that his soul after death, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, will be reunited with his body and he will be raised from the dead. That, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, is our reality too. That is our future. We will be raised from death to life to live with our God. God's redeemed, restored, resurrected people living with Him in a perfect new creation. No pain, no loneliness, no disease, no depression, no anxiety, no suffering, no death. A pure, perfect existence in a perfect place to live in a perfect relationship with our God and his people. What a wonderful God we serve. That's why Paul can say, verse 8 here, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Folks, let me end with what Paul starts with. That's a call to joy. See, to pursue other things, to build our identity on other things before God robs joy. To see our standing before God in what we do robs us of joy. To add things to Christ robs us of joy. Paul knows what he's saying here. He's saying to believe anything outside of gospel truth is going to rob you of joy. But in turning to Christ, we see someone of ultimate, infinite value and worth. To trust in Christ, his work, his righteousness gives us a greater joy than anything this world can, can offer. As C.S. Lewis famously put, he said this, we are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We have the righteousness from God that comes through faith in Christ. We know true beauty, true value, true worth. We've been given the truest, fullest joy imaginable. Why turn anywhere else? Let me pray. Father, I pray that we, your people, who worship by your Holy Spirit, would glory in Christ. Forgive us for when we trust or look to other things and help us to see the beauty of Jesus, to count all things as lost, seeing what you have done and given us in Jesus Christ. Perfect righteousness, right standing before you. Help us to be awestruck at the surpassing worth of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. To know we have resurrection power, living power by your Holy Spirit within us. To walk through suffering, knowing we are united to Christ, sharing in his suffering as we do. And to remember that you are transforming us. Every experience, every turn that we have taken, Father, everything that's happened to us works together to transform us, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the future, Father, help us to know, to trust that we will be raised to resurrection life in you for all eternity. Amen.